Frank's Red Hot is the perfect blend of flavor and heat. So you can use an entire bottle to make recipes like buffalo chicken dip or buffalo nachos. Or even things that don't start with buffalo. Frank's Red Hot. I put that on everything. Hey, Craig. Monday night. I just <laughs> thank you to the Georgia Bulldogs for absolutely whipping the hell out of the TCU yeah. Horn Frogs because I didn't want to watch that anymore. And Pac-12 Network was showing a a replay of a basketball game from Saturday. Um, was there a basketball game on Saturday? Yeah, yeah, basketball game uh, involving our our beloved Washington State Cougars. Uh, oh, uh, that's right, playing uh, a number five Arizona team, and I I could tell you, man. That, the number five Arizona team, uh, they didn't look like they were the number five team <laughs> in, in that matchup. But, um, but yeah, so welcome to Podcast versus Everyone. I'm Craig Powers with me, usually, at, but also tonight, Jeff Newser. And this is, we are excited because Wazoo took down number five Arizona on the road, the first uh, if if you watch a broadcast, Ted Robinson did not yeah, let yeah. you forget. He let you know um, about eighty six times. Eighty six times, starting whenever WSU one, had one a lead. for every year of his life. Yes. Uh, so the the first time WSU has ever beaten an AP top five team on the road. Uh, so that's a pretty big deal. Um, just a, I mean, just a, a satisfying performance. It, I it just finally uh, after a team, just so much. Bad luck over the season with injuries, with shot, you know, shots falling for one team and not falling another. We look, there's consistently on the, on a shot quality upset. Uh, if you follow shot quality, it's a, it's a, they, they, they basically give, uh, uh, estimated scores based on, uh, the quality of the shots taken. Um, and that also factors in how the, the, per, the, percentile of getting getting rebounded and all that um so yeah uh uh and i have so many shot quality upsets against wcu they finally get a shot quality upset of their own yeah yeah um still didn't like uh 12 of 28 from three obviously is very good but it wasn't like the 16 of 22 that cal shot against stanford the other night or or you know and and they only went 13 of 36 on twos uh, really just a, a great performance in taking care of the basketball against a very athletic team. Um, for much of the game until Arizona got desperate, really, could, you know, doing really well on the glass. Uh, but then Arizona, when they were down big towards the end, really started sending a lot of numbers to the glass. And they do have the size to, 
uh, overwhelmed in that regard in there. But, but yeah, you know, on, on their own end, solid amount of offensive rebounds, especially from Muhammad Gay. So just all around, you know, we talk about a lot about, about, um, uh, the, the, the number of shots that a team puts up and, it's not just the quality, but just the quantity of shots that a team puts up. And WSU in this game uh, basically put up more field goal attempts. They they were pretty much by the end were pretty even on 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 that. But just the fact that they didn't turn the ball over, they hit their open looks from three, and and finally something, Jeff. Finally something came together. Like it just finally. It, Finally, they, they get that performance and against a, a good team. You know, it's fine if you do that against Detroit Mercy, but to do it against, uh, Arizona and one of the hardest places to play in the country, that was, that was amazing. Yeah. The hardest places to play in the country was, was on display too in that game. Cause you know, one thing I mentioned as we were watching the game, you know, you don't get a home win streak like that on talent alone usually. If Gonzaga is doing that, you know, whatever, like obviously they are, you know, the talent margin between them and most of the people who visit uh, their gym, you know, is a pretty big gap. But, you know, if you're Arizona, I mean, even if you are one of the most talented teams in, in the Pac-12, you're still not that much more talented than everybody else in the Pac-12. So to win that many games in a row, okay. It's, you start looking at home court advantage. You go, well, what, what generates home court advantage? And, you know, studies have been done on this and have pretty well shown that, uh, it, you know, it's the influence that, it, that an intimidating crowd has on the officiating. And that was something that, you know, we saw on full display, uh, particularly in the first half, second half sort of as it became clear that WSU was, was like not just hanging in there, but, but kind of outplaying them pretty significantly. Seemed like the refs started to kind of come around to, oh, okay, well, there's another team here. But, you know, it was tough, man. The, the environment is intimidating. You know, there were lots of funky foul calls early on. Um, you know, just, just sort of weird, the weird stuff you have to deal with that contributes to a team getting a long, you know, winning streak like that in their building. And, you know, to their credit, you know, the Cougs, like, uh, you know, they fought through it. They, they played hard. They, they had a great plan. Uh, for how to deal with Arizona, they they just kind of did everything you'd want them to do, and you know, like you mentioned, I mean, the the three point shooting was good. You know, twelve for twenty eight is is really good. That's forty three percent, but it wasn't like it took a completely crazy, you know, unconscious kind of night, you know, to do it. They didn't shoot, you know, fifty five percent on thirty threes or something. You know, um, they just did a really good job. You know, they they made enough threes. Um, they got, you know, quite a few offensive rebounds, 35% of their own misses. And then, like you said, the turnovers, I mean, that, and that is something that this team has, you know, struggled with at times this year, uh, but has really like come under control, um, as of recently, not, not great necessarily in most games, but, you know, kind of coming down, this was, was sort of like, you know, the, the coup de gras, you know, as it were, where, we go, okay, well, you know, we talk, we've talked for years on this podcast about shot volume. And that was, you know, where the Cougs really started to make their hay, um, a couple of years ago. Well, this one was, was that in a nutshell, you know, 14 offensive rebounds, only nine turnovers. Um, you know, so even if you only shoot 13 for 36 on twos, 
you know, when you shoot pretty well from three and you do those other things, you end up with 1.14 points per possession, which is, you know, outstanding. And you just, you got to love it. You got to tip your hat They're You know, they are really coming together at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it should be no, it's no coincidence that they, they've played well. We'll say at least these last four games, but finally they, they've had, you know, they, they went through Yaki had been back for three games. They've, they've had Jay back. You know, they, they've, they've have, they have their full roster minus Deshaun and Miles. Finally, you know, they, they have yep. eight quality scholarship players that are experienced and can, you know, be out there now. Like, or, you know, at least physically capable, you know, you could, right. wouldn't really say Kamani is experienced, but he is very much a, a Pac-12 body and Pac-12 athlete. Um, yep. but yeah, but yeah, it just, uh, it, it's, it, it's no coincidence that they're finally, you know, playing up to this talent level that, that we knew they had. Um, and, and, and yeah, you, you get fortunate to hit 43% from three, but also they have a ton of shooters. They built this team to have a ton of shooters. And, And so when you have that many shooters, when you have DJ is finally coming, his shots coming back that we saw he had his sophomore year. You know, his confidence is through the fucking roof. Like DJ Robin is yep. uh, probably our third best player right now. And yep. like, and, and he, he's, he's knocking down shots. Jay Mullins is on a tear. Like anyone, I unlike anyone I've ever seen, like just yeah. the, just hitting everything. Um, and then you have Justin Powell, who is a career, you know, pl- close to 40% three point shooter. TJ Bomba, who is a 40 plus percent three point shooter in his career. Yeah. You know, and like you, you hit, you're going to hit shots. Like you're going to have these days when a lot of guys are hitting those shots. And that happens today. That happens that day. And honestly, they didn't hit, need to hit as many as they did. Uh, cause they won by 13. Yeah. But yeah, but it was really, you know, we talked like they, they, they were just so timely in the way they, they, they were just, we talked about the crowd, but they were really crowd killers often. This game was very much back and forth for the first 15 minutes. And then yep. WSU, uh, Jay Mullins hits two, Justin hits one, three threes within a minute. And all of a sudden, WSU has an eight-point lead. And then they close it out. TJ hits a three at the buzzer. They're suddenly a game going into five minutes left, which Arizona was leading five minutes left. The first half Arizona is now down by 10 because they, yeah. that just that flurry of three pointers and the crowd is stunned. And then they come out yep. and DJ hits one right off the bat to start the, the, the second half. And, and they, there was only one time the crowd I mean, really, really got into it. And that was when they were making their run in the second half, which we knew was going to come. Like, they're yep. too good not to make a run. And yep. and if you're going to freak out because the Cougs went five minutes without a field goal or whatever, like, Arizona does that to a lot of teams. Like, they go on these runs all the time. Yep. Um, you should just be happy that the entire lead didn't get erased in five minutes because they were playing some solid defense. There's a lot of stops yeah. in there. Um but just you still then you come back and I think one of the just the I'll say like probably the best 
sequence of like TJ Bamba's career at Washington State after he had just been having such a terrible time of it lately. In Pac-12 play overall, really struggling with the shot, struggling handling the ball. Now he's he has he's still been playing defense. He's played great great defense on Kirk Risa, uh in this game, uh, but he he'd been struggling. The one guy that was struggling for most of the day, but aside from that three at the end of the half, he got pulled a couple minutes before this, and and he got pulled because Arizona was was hard hedging and doubling him. Uh, every time a screen, every time he was handling the ball and a big would come set a screen and he had multiple turnovers because of this. And I thought a great adjustment they made is just to ISO him on yep. Pella Larson. And they just said, you know what? You, you take him Pella Larson and TJ is big enough and strong enough to contend with follow down low. Um, if he gets to the rack and, Really, that first bucket, WSU was reeling. He had just fouled Creesa, you know, in, with like le- in under five seconds on the shot clock, or you know, like you know, twenty five seconds left on the shot clock. Fouled Creesa. Arizona's cutting it to five with five minutes left, basically, and he just comes through, just to just bullies his way to the basket and makes a hell of a shot. Definitely got fouled, but you know. Uh, what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah. But. yeah, there were there were lots of those. I mean, that was the you know when we talk about that that you know home court cooking. I mean we we took fourteen free throws to their twenty eight, and that included the ones that we got at the end when they were fouling intentionally. <laughs> so yeah, it was it it definitely was tough. Bamba, you know, like you said, he was he was definitely struggling offensively. He was doing great defensively. He was on crease all night. Creesa had a tough, tough go of it. Couldn't really get any penetration. Uh, struggled to shoot the ball, and and he's you know he's kind of like that anyway. He's not a he's not a great shooter. He's kind of a a pretty streaky shooter, um, and he never got it. And then you had this you know this sequence from Bamba. It was you know it got down to five, and it's like okay, well you know here we go, and um, you know and then he gets this contested layup, and then you know they come back, they they get a stop, and they come back. And he gets not this like funky ass like running jumper thing like that that went in, and then they get another stop. And oh, then... by the way, on that on that one, yeah. So Paolo Larson throws himself on the ground, uh, right, and asking for a, a call. I I don't know, maybe how like there's multiple times that WC's been called for a flop in that yes, situation. Yes, absolutely. And I was kind of yep. expecting because the ref looked at him and like. Put your damn hands down. We should be getting a free throw right now. If that's just yep. how you guys have been calling this shit all year. Yep. But whatever. Yep. They, you know, better better a no call than better a no call than an offensive foul there, which would have been ridiculous because Larson yep. was beaten. You know, yep. and um, but that was a tough shot he made. And then now yep. all of a sudden you're up nine, and then he uh, yep. goes down and and uh, Creesa tries to take a. I think Creesa or Larson, I can't remember, tries to take a transition it was three. Yep. Creesa tries to take transition three, blocks that. Bomba so blocks that, it. it. Yeah. Yeah. And so Bomba blocks the shot. And then, you know, they trade empty possessions. And then it's it's in Bomba's hands again. And it's it's funny. Like, so Bomba drives, draws three defenders. Yep. 
It would have been really difficult to find him, but Jabe was wide open. But there's one second on the shot clock. He kicks it to Mo, who sitting in the uh, corner, oh, sitting in the corner of all the people, like the dagger. Mo, yeah. a dagger three from the corner. There's Mo five Gay. people on the floor, like, and that's not the guy two. you want shooting that three. Yeah, I mean, you're you're probably fine if he clanks that because you're like, okay, there's they're up by nine. There's a minute fifty five left. Yes, and taking thirty seconds off the clock was the biggest deal yes. there. Yep, for sure. But he hits it with like the best free throw shoot, three point shooter in the country right now, like standing right yes. next to him, wide open. Too. Yes, it's funny. It's and I don't, you know like that was keep, what a moment that was. It was you know, and we keep wanting you know Muhammad Gay to be a three point shooter. I, I don't know if we want him to be a three point shooter, but we like keep hoping that at least you be, know the three point shot's going to come around, right? That yeah. you know maybe at least be a threat. From out there, but you know, it's like we watch him take these mid-range jumpers, and and some of them, you know, particularly the ones where he's he's kind of rocking to his left, um, yeah. you know, he gets this nice high release with this feathery touch over contests, and it really has become kind of an unstoppable shot. And then, but when he shoots threes, it's like it's like almost like it's a different shot for him. You know, it, it almost feels like he's kind of throwing the ball at the rim versus. Mm-hmm. You know, getting that nice high feathery release. Um, it's almost like he doesn't want too much arc on the three or something. Um, but on this one, you know, it was a hard, you know, it was, uh, one second left on the shot clock, hard closeout. So what's he do? Nice high feathery release, snaps it, swish. And, and really that was the moment that, that you know, the game was over. I think, you know, Arizona, I, I think called their last time out after that, if I remember right. Um, no, it, they, so no. weirdly, um, I think the refs stopped it for like a clock issue or something because Arizona yeah, only that had was one it. timeout and then they called another timeout diving to the floor for a loose ball like later after that. Yeah, maybe that was it. So I don't, whatever yeah, I don't, it was, I just remember there was a break and there was just this sense of, okay, this is like, this is over. It's, it's over. And to, to be the one, the team to just make shot after shot after shot, um, against the team that is, is the one that's used to doing that. Right. You know, I mean, Arizona does that. They're the ones who, you know, rip your heart out with their their pace and they overwhelm you like a flood. And, you know, they just sent bodies at you. They crash the glass. They dunk on you. You know, Balo is such a monster. And it's like, man, we had them in control virtually the entire game. Like it was it was crazy. Like, I don't think Arizona even really understood what happened. To them, I mean, after the game, you know, they're being like, I, I don't know, it looked like in the lay, like the handshake line that there, there was a little, uh, w- some words being exchanged, you know, in the, in the, in the handshake line. And then after the game, you know, Tabellis is sitting there and somebody asked him a question about how hard it was to guard Muhammad Gay. And he goes, no, not difficult, not difficult at, not all. at all. It's like, yeah. it's like, buddy, buddy, the dude just put up you know, whatever it was, 20, 24, 24 and 14, right? You know, he just put up 24 and 14, including one where he drove right by you for a dunk. Oh, don't worry. I, I have shared that gift many times now. Yeah. And it's fantastic. And it's like, you know, but they're just, I, you know, they, they come off looking like big chumps and big babies. And that, that is a, an extremely satisfying, (laughs) extremely satisfying to see uh satisfying thing to see after a game. Well, and and uh, 
I, I, you know, I'm a lot can be said about like the three point shooting, and 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 I just saw a tweet from Sam Vicente, who who basically said, yeah, you know, that people react too much with polls to like, you know, a team having an off night. You know, Arizona went four of twenty five from three, and WSU went twelve of twenty eight. Well, well, here's the thing: WSU has a roster built with a ton of shooters, and Arizona doesn't. Arizona, right. the three-pointer is not a big part of their attack. They're 281st. And this was like a crazy amount of threes for them to shoot because WSU was all, all like p- plenty happy to have Pella Larson and Kirk Kreese. And, uh, you know, Kreese is a decent three-point shooter. Larson is not. Um, you know, let guys like Henderson, who are, you know, they're decent shooters, but they're not used to shooting volumes of shots, you know, right. they're used to getting wide open looks, uh, but giving them only that. Um, and so they're, they, the WC were said, you know what, if you're going to hit a bunch of threes, we're going to lose because if we give you the inside, we're going to lose anyway. Like if right. we give you, if we give penetration to Creesa, we're going to lose anyway. So they, they went under screens on a lot of guys, you know, they just like let them shoot those threes. And so like, yeah, you could say an off night, but this was part of the plan. WSU shoots a fuck ton of threes. WSU has a ton of shooters. You know, you WSU on their roster that you got uh Bomba career forty percent, Powell career forty percent. I just already said it, you know, Jabe is fifty percent right now. Uh you have DJ Rodman who is on a tear and, and very capable of, you know, hitting three out of five in any game. Um, so you just loading the floor. You have Andre Yakamovsky who didn't do jack shit because he was in foul trouble the whole time, but that's another shooter you have. When you have one team playing in their comfort zone and one team playing out of their comfort zone, and that's yep. fucking coaching. And, 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 and people want to fucking been shitting on Kyle Smith this yep. two for the last two months. You know what? This shit doesn't happen by accident. You don't go nope. down and beat a talented team like Arizona who's on a fucking roll the last two years, like without it, without coaching. And, and so you can you could say it's lucky that WSU hit twelve of twenty eight and Arizona hit four of twenty five. Well, that's how WSU played the game to how the rosters are built, and that's yep. that's how it went, and, and and it worked out. And maybe it wouldn't have worked out. Maybe if Arizona had a a crazy night like WSU hitting 12 of 28 isn't that crazy because no. if they went 10 of 28 no one says it's crazy right and WSU still wins if they go 10 of 28 like yep. so like it so like the, the coaching staff deserves a lot of credit here for the game plan they put in and they and then what Bryce pointed out is they took away their like twin towers advantage on defense by playing Mo like a wing like he was, yep. you. Bill Walton was freaking out the whole game, right? That, about that how Mo far Gay, he too far from far, the basket. This was it's on purpose. Yeah, that was on purpose. That that clears space for everyone else when you're pulling Ballo and pulling Tabellis out. Like that, you you're pulling them out not only as a shot blocker but as a defensive rebounder. Well, and it so really that, seems like I was gonna say it really seems like they have found something. In terms of how how to mitigate the fact they don't really have a point guard, right? Yeah. Like they were trying to they were really trying to wedge Justin Powell into that spot uh, earlier, 
And it, and it wasn't working. It just wasn't working. Like, it seems like he has that kind of skill set. Um, he's a really savvy passer at times. But to be honest, he really just seems to lack the um, assertiveness, I guess, to be to be a point guard, to be a lead guy. And so they finally have said, okay, we, that's not working, right? Let's, let's try something different. And now you're, you're seeing, you know, the, the offense is running almost entirely through Mo where he's getting the ball in various positions and that might not work, except he's a really good passer. And you're starting to see also, he's a fairly competent dribbler. You know, when he gets the ball like within, you know, 15, 16 feet of the basket in sort of a triple threat position, like he can he can do one of three things like he can pass, he can shoot, he can put it on the floor and get to the rim. Like there was one, um, you know, early on, I I, I don't think Tubelis was on him. I think it was the other reserve big guy, but yeah. um, it was kind of on the baseline. Yeah. And he just oh, did man. like just like a little rip through. One yeah. step, boom, to the rim and layup. Yeah. And the dude Jab was just step, like, he had yeah. no idea. He just had no idea what had happened. And then, you know, the, the dunk on Tubelis that we were, it wasn't on Tubelis, but, uh, the dunk where Tubelis was guarding yeah, him. Tubelis was, uh, Tubelis was 18 feet from the basket when he dunked. Yeah. His <laughs> And he, yeah. cause he didn't move. Um, you know, Muhammad's got the ball up at the top of the key and again, just kind of, you know, rips through and, and goes hard and, and Tabellus is, is caught flat footed. You know, he's not ready for it. And so what's he do? As you put it, you know, he does the, the YMCA noon hoops move, tries to reach around and poke the ball away, which doesn't work. And then, you know, two steps later, you know, Muhammad's, you know, flushing the ball. It's like they have really done a nice job diversifying this offense. And I was looking at, um, just the conference only stats, uh, in uh, on Ken Palm, he, he breaks them out for conference only, you know, we're like, what is it like fourth or f- fifth, something like that in offensive fourth, I think offensive efficiency on, on points per possession in conference games. And that's without having played like any of the four or five worst teams in the conference, right? Like we haven't played Oregon state. Yep. We haven't played Washington. We haven't played Cal. We haven't played Stanford. That's going to change this weekend. But it's like, man, we haven't played any of those shitty teams, and our offense is actually looking pretty damn good. <laughs> uh, you know, particularly with what we did, you know, against UCLA and against Arizona. Not not as great against Arizona State, but it was still it was still pretty good against Arizona State. We lost that game because Arizona State just you know scored. They shot out of their minds and you know, scored more than they normally do. And you just, you kind of tip your hat on that, but hit you know, every USC, yeah, USC, UCLA, Arizona. I mean, you're talking, those were all games. I think that were all above about 1.1 points per possession. I, I mean, look, we've struggled offensively under Kyle Smith for years. It is suddenly looking like we actually have a legit, a legit offense going here. And it's, it's largely because of Muhammad gay. Well, and Muhammad Gay is a big part, but also uh, Jay Mullins and DJ Rodman, really like both stepping up as yeah. like. And we got to talk options. more about DJ. We got to talk yeah. more about DJ. Yeah, but before we do that, we got to and DJ's part of this is, is the defense in this game. The WSU had been getting absolutely torn apart on two pointers for yep. much of the season, and this is a team. That live Arizona is a team that lives on two pointers. Tabellus, Ballo, 
uh, even Kreisa, Larson, everyone. They're a big team, and they play inside. That's where they like to play. Um, they they fronted Ballo for most of the game. They fronted Tabellas for most of the game. That was their strategy. Sure, it ended up in some easy buckets, but on two-pointers, Tabellas was 8 of 19, and Ballo was 4 of 11. And yep. overall, Arizona, 42% on twos. And outside of Ballo and Tabellas, who took 32s, the rest of the team combined took eight. They were not letting the guards get inside. They were forcing Ballo and Tabellas to make plays. Now, Tabellas did a lot, got a little bit of help from the refs, 10 to 12. On, he's, he's very good at drawing fouls, um, especially at home. Um, but 10 of 12 from the line. You know, Ballo, 3 of 10 from line. They were happy to hack him and let him miss free throws, you know. Um, yeah. It just, uh, yeah, just with, it, you know, Tabellus, Tabellus had 40% usage in this game. Like, they were like, you know what? We're going to let you catch the ball, and then we're going to swarm you and see what you can do. And we're going to go under screens to make it harder so that there's always going to be people in your face when you catch the ball. And so he had to work for you. He had to, he had to seven offensive rebounds. Like he had to work for every, all, all 29 of those points besides maybe the last two when he, it was just a, you know, WC was just running out the clock. But, um, yeah, so it was, it was, uh, they, they, the WC basically said like, we'll let you shoot. We'll let your 32% three point shooters shoot threes more than they are comfortable. And then we're going to, we're going to let, to you know, Tabell and then Tabellus, yeah, sure, we'll let him get the ball, but we're gonna swarm. And they they really like made some you know Mo made an incredible block on Ballo. I mean, he fronted him and then recover. You know, after fronting him, he gets the ball, he recovers, blocks a dunk. Uh, they yep. they really did a really great job. You know, guys like DJ, like Kamani, um, like Andre coming and contesting uh, when they would catch when Ballo and Tabellus would catch. Um, that, that was, it was just so impressive. A, a team that has struggled so mildly, uh, stopping teams inside the paint, uh, to just have a, a performance like that, which really, you know, wasn't built like on one player. And, and shout out to Justin Powell, uh, as those guys were crashing and, and, and putting all it in to like force tough shots for, for Tabellis and Ballo, Justin Powell pulling down some, like five or six just really contested defensive yeah. rebounds. He had seven like, altogether. Yeah. Seven yeah, defensive like, rebounds all together. Most together. of and them they all he seemed had big. Big on his back. Like, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. So they, they, I, they, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I think there's a couple things going on with the twos. Um, one is that Arizona obviously lives and thrives in transition, and we controlled that the entire game. Uh, looking at Arizona's tempo, um, they have only played two games this year under 70 possessions. Um, one was against Cal back in December, a game they won very easily. And then the other one was on Saturday against us. And we held them to 65 possessions, which was the least uh, in any game they've played this year. Every other game has been above 70. They had been... Uh, six straight games, seven straight games at 70 or more. They've had games in the eighties. Like they, they thrive on getting out and running. Um, they really do. And we just absolutely limited that. We wouldn't let them do it. 
um, which is, you know, it's one thing to say like, oh, we wouldn't let him do it. And, you know, we watched, uh, you know, obviously Tony Bennett's teams, you know, do that for years and Dick Bennett's teams do that for years. But it's it's just not as easy as that sounds like Arizona runs on everyone and they did not run on us because we just would not let them. We would not let them run. And so I think there was that. And then, you know, you mentioned the fronting. There were a couple times they got some easy looks, but there were also a handful of steals in there where they tried to lob it over the top and couldn't get it over Mo or they couldn't get it over Zhang, who we haven't mentioned yet, but Adrame Zhang had a another yep, really absolutely. nice game off the bench. Like he is coming along really well. We even had a handful of minutes with uh, two bigs, which was nice. I love that. It's my favorite um, when we get those two guys in there. You know, so we got our hands on balls. We stole, I mean, I want to say, I think we stole at least two, maybe three um, entry passes that they tried to lob over the top on the fronting. Um, and what that does is even if they get it in there a couple of times, it, it still makes them think twice, right? Like it's not an automatic dump down anymore. Like when they see it and they think it's open, they might hesitate just a sec, right? Before they try and toss it over that big to get it in there. And that is enough, you know, to make sure that people don't maybe necessarily always catch the ball in advantageous positions. So, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, Kyle Smith and the game plan and everything else, you know, it was just another example of just really having a great game plan. Um, I don't know how many teams could pull off what we did, to be honest, like we've got a certain kind of personnel to be able to do that. You know, we've basically, we've got Muhammad gay, you know, who's doing it and Zhang who, while, you know, skinny and young and, you know, you know, pretty raw is also super long and, and really springy. And, um, you can see that also he's a really smart basketball player. Like the tools are there and the skills may not quite be caught up yet, but you can tell he really understands the game and he gets it. And so he's just in these spots to make plays and make things difficult and, you know, just get his hands on balls and things like that. Just, Really masterful game plan, limiting transition. We didn't turn the ball over much. I mean, Arizona doesn't force many turnovers, but um, but still, you know, that hasn't always stopped us from turning the ball over. You know, we did everything we needed to do to control um, Arizona getting those easy twos that they really thrive on. And and you saw what happened when they really had to work for it, and and they weren't necessarily uh, they weren't necessarily prepared to do that. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, and this was uh, Arizona's. Uh second worst points per possession of the year behind their loss at Utah. Um, and honestly, one of their uh, worst defensive performances of the year as well. When you look at yep. WC's points per possession, uh, I think only Cincinnati was higher against Arizona all year. Um, so just a all around, just an incredible game. Um, just love to see it happen. This team deserves it. Uh, they've been through so, so much. And now they, you know, now the, the, the challenge is, you know, they're, they're basically there. We talked about this a little bit about this. You know, we, we alluded to it. They've been on they, a, a decent stretch of play. Like they've, they've looked a lot better in the last, it, it, since the, 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 the thick of the conference schedule has started. And they've had, you know, everyone back, uh, you know, nearly taking UCLA uh, um, at home uh, and then, you know, beating USC pretty handily at home. 
Uh, Arizona State, who is a good team, very, you know, there'll be a bubble potential a tournament team. Um, losing to them on the road, you know, that, that, that was a contested game. Um, and, and again, like Arizona State shot like crazy in that game. Um, you know, not just like shots they don't normally make. Uh, um, and then, and then just to, to beat Arizona. So they've, they've really been playing much better ball, really playing like a, like a top 50 ish type team. Um, even, you know, a couple of times, you know, top 25, top 20. Obviously they were looking like a top 10 team on Saturday, but you know, overall, if you take the, the whole of these four games, really top 50, top 40 type, type quality team, yeah. which is what we thought they were. Um, so this is really coming around to, you know, when they have everyone there, it, it, they're, they're playing a lot better. You know, guys are getting over some injuries and, um, and so now they, now they come, now they have Cal and Stanford, uh, which is the easy, like should be the easiest weekend for any team right now. Um, but this is where they, hopefully they can obviously against some worst teams this year, they've had struggled. Uh, so hopefully they could, they can keep that intensity and focus along with having that talent back with, with uh, Cal, who is, uh, you know, does have a couple wins in Pac-12 play, but they were again, like kind of like crazy shooting um, and crazy wins, but both of them at home as well. Um, and, and then you have Stanford coming in who, who is struggling, but it is, but is good enough to get you on a, if you're not having a, a good enough day. So, or, a, you know, if you're having a struggling, maybe shooting the three or whatever. So yeah, um, but yeah, it's a it, it's a big weekend because if if they could sweep this weekend, they're suddenly at four and four in conference play. Yeah, with with f- six of those eight games being very tough, like re- against potential tournament teams. Yeah. Um. So they, th- it, yeah. Well, to, to tell you what, like how tough the schedule has been so far. Um. So Ken Palm's got his his conference his projected records right so right now after saturday we're we're two and four he's projecting our the cumulative probabilities lead to 10 and 10 which means that the projection is to go eight and six over the final you know over the final 14 games which you're kind of like okay well that doesn't sound all that impressive but also like i mean that's eight and six and then it doesn't take much to get to something like 10 and four, right? Like I was going over this with, with a friend today and I was like, okay, well let's say, okay, we sweep this weekend, right? Like that's what you would expect. Like the probabilities on both are over 75 or over 74%. You know, you, you would expect to win both those games, right? So then you go to the mountain schools, Utah, Colorado, always a really, really tough road trip, but you know, is a split something that could happen. Yeah, it could happen. Okay. Then you come back home and you're playing Arizona, Arizona state. Well, You've already beaten Arizona. It's still going to be a tough game, but you've already beaten them. Arizona State coming in, you know, you've played that one in Pullman, you know, maybe the game that was in Tempe goes the other way, right? So you're thinking, okay, you probably get a split there at least, right? And then, okay, go to USC and UCLA. Split going to be tough, but again, you've already beaten USC. Maybe you get a split there. And then you finish with Washington, Oregon State at home, Oregon at home, Stanford away, Callaway, Washington away. What if you sweep those? Like, this is not super far-fetched. 
you know, to think of where this might end. I mean, you legitimately could end something like 13 and seven in conference or 12 and eight in conference. Like that's not like crazy outside the realm of possibility. Based on on how they've played in these last four games when they've had the full roster. Yes. And and, yeah. Yeah. You know, absolutely. But I mean, we think that's who they really are. Right. Like, like, I don't think this is fluky. Do you? Well, I, I, I don't, I don't think beating Arizona by thirteen every game is exactly who they are. But, no, uh, of course not. No, of course I, not. I, I just mean more like I do on the whole these enough, past four games. I, I do think they're good enough to contend with anyone anywhere in the conference, um, talent wise, uh, and so just you know hope to stay healthy. And just hope there's no letdown against Cal and Stanford this weekend, um, yeah. especially because Jeff and I will be there for Stanford. So please, <laughs> yes, we will. Uh, don't please let don't us do down. That. We want to have happy dancing at Etsy Bravo. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, yeah, so big. I mean, it's a big weekend in regards of getting to four and four would be huge, and having those three wins. In a row and four out of five yep. heading into a, a tough stretch. Like really th- those next three, you're at Utah, Colorado, and then Arizona at home um, to get to four and four before that um, be playing good basketball still would be excellent. And um, the, the, this, if they can, like you said, that stretch from Utah to UCLA is a tough one. And yeah, if they can maintain this level of play through there, they there's their their easiest stretch is the end of the season. And I know it's crazy to say when they have three straight road games, but it's the three worst teams in the conference, or three of yes. the four worst teams in the conference. Um. So yeah, it's it's I don't know. Like we said, we 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 said a month ago that yeah, this team is struggling, but. They're they're gonna get people back, and they're they're gonna it's it's they're gonna give people trouble, and they've already done that. They almost beat UCLA. They beat USC. They beat Arizona. Um, so they are that's already coming to fruition. We knew that we, they the talent would when they had their full roster, and like I said, it's still not the full roster, but like not what they thought they would have in in October. But um, right. but but they they have their you know at least. Uh, enough scholarship players, you know, um, to, 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 to have the talent to contend with anyone. And they're already proving that. And, and I'm just, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of fun to be had in the season. Will it, will it end in postseason? Now, if they do get to 12 and eight, 13 and seven, that, you know, that they would definitely be, especially given the wins that they would have accumulated in that stretch. Um, but just to, to, to get there and, and, um, the, I think there's just, there's gonna be fun basketball and I, and there's just so many people and it was weird to me after the UCLA game is when I saw a lot of it happen. I yeah. guess cause that's just of all, one of that all the games, right. Of all and, the and, games. And I know, and I know there was a, a, a field goal drought at the end and we've seen that happen, but I'll tell you what UCLA is the number four team in the country on Kepom, and they 
almost blew a massive lead to USC the other night because they scored 14 points in the second half. Yep. This is not unique to WSU as a college basketball program. Like college basketball teams go on these droughts. And yeah. now does, do they have, have we had some insane ones at WSU under, under Kyle Smith? Yes. Does it feel like it happens a lot? Yes. But you can't discount the 32, like they still ended up one, I think 1.05. They had 66 points and 64 possessions in that game. Like they, they, they played a, a good offensive game in the total. Like, it, yes, the, the last eight minutes were tough and they lost the lead, but you were playing the number four team on Camp Hop in the country. Yes. Like, a like really you were playing fucking a good really team. fucking good team and good teams <laughs> do that to people, especially good, teams, good defensive yeah. teams. Good teams and, are and, hard to beat. Yeah. And so, and then you come out and they, they were on, like, they had three good offensive performances after that. You you mentioned the offense. Yep. So, like, I, why people gave up after UCLA, which is, like, the weirdest thing to me. Like, oh, I'm yes. done. Like, okay, we almost beat a top ten team, and that's that's your final straw? <laughs> like. I know. It's that's, so bizarre. That's when. That's when one of the most prominent WSU alumni in media decided to allude to firing Kyle Smith. Yeah, I know. And it's, then pretty silent after this game. I know the, the whole thing. It's just insane to me. Like I, I listen, I understand the feeling of want of just like washing your hands of a program, right? Like we listen, you know, we've, we've talked about this before. We started Coog Center when Paul Wolf was the football coach. Uh, you know, there were some losses in there where it was like, okay, it's clear. We're not competitive. Look, I am the guy who wrote an entire series on Coog Center about uh, Ernie Kent making excuses for losses. Right. Like we had an entire series called Why Did WSU Lose This Time, which was making fun of all the just crazy ass shit that Ernie Kent would say about why we lost. And they, there are, there were some whoppers in there. And I'm like, man, if you're getting embarrassed, like, okay. Like if you're getting embarrassed, I understand. Like if you're like, man, I can't, I can't do this. We're getting embarrassed. This is insane. We're, we can't coach. We're not talented, whatever. Okay, fine. But you're going to, like you said, you're, you're going to pull that trigger after losing by a point to one of the best teams in the country. Like, like that's when you're going to decide that you're out. That's when you're going to decide the referendum on the coaching staff. Yes. They completely melted down at the end of that game. Like no doubt about it. It, they shot themselves in the foot repeatedly. They made all kinds of mistakes and okay, fine. You want to chalk that up to coaching, you know, whatever, fine. Um, I would contend that maybe that would go a little differently if you had an actual point guard, which we were supposed to have, but unfortunately he has cancer, right? So, you know, it is what it is, but it, it's like, man, big picture. It's, you know, the entire premise of Ken Palm is that scoring margin matters, right? Like it, if you're a good team and you're in games, it matters. And it's like, and if you're in games against other good teams, it matters that even if you don't win, even if you don't win and winning, we all know that's what matters. I'm not trying to say wins don't matter. Yada, yada, yada. So when we were, you know, six and 10 after Arizona state, I'm not trying to say, well, you know, I don't care what the record is because our Ken Palm ranking is like, that's not what I'm saying. Like wins matter. Wins matter a lot. 
wins matter a lot. But also, like if you're going to decide to give up on something, maybe give up when the team is an embarrassment, not when it's it's I don't know, pretty clear to anybody watching that they don't like they don't really suck. Like they've played a really difficult schedule. Like we looked at that earlier like I don't know, last week, right? We were looking at that and it's like they have played a top 50 in the country schedule up they until have this played, year. According to Ken Palm, the fifth most difficult schedule in the country. Okay. And it's like that it and the not, I, th- I think I was thinking non-conference. Like we played like a I think a top 50 non-conference schedule, right? 60. And uh, yeah. 60. Which okay, is, close. Which is so, crazy for a a, a a power conference team. Power conference yes. teams don't do that very often. Yes. Usually up people up there are teams like, you know, Prairie View A&M or whatever who play a million games on the road against, you know, power five teams to get paydays. It's like we really put together a challenging non-conference schedule to try and boost that strength of schedule, you know, to try and make the tournament because that was the goal, which was an admirable goal. And, you know, and it backfired a bit. The roster wasn't there. Not a bit. It backfired a lot. Right. The roster wasn't there, et cetera. But it's like, you know. We have not played. I went back and looked at all the Ken Palm non-conference strength of schedule. There is only one other year that was in the top 100. Every other year was in the 200s or 300s. So, like, we've never had a year, like, between 100 and 200 in the last 20-whatever years. It's it's either been, like, 200 and lower or these two seasons where it was in above 100, and this is one of them. You know, so we've played this like crazy difficult schedule. Our losses are to, as you know, as I'm kind of looking at the schedule here, I mean, the only one that's not a loss to a top 70 team, there were two. One was obviously Purview AM, which was a terrible loss, no excuses, whatever. I'm not trying to minimize that. Uh, lost to Utah, or sorry, lost to Hawaii on the road. Hawaii's ranked 118, which is still pretty darn good. And also, that was a road game, right? So, even though it was in a tournament, it was a road game because it was at Hawaii's arena. Everything else is these top like 70 teams. Like we played a ridiculous schedule. The The record is partially a reflection of that. And also we've lost again, a whole bunch of close games. So again, you can blame that on coaching, whatever, but I don't understand why that's the thing where you decide you're out because then you, you know, you beat up on USC and, and then you beat Arizona and it's like, and all of a sudden you're in position to finish the year strong and, I don't know, man, people, people should just like focus more on having fun, you know, with the process. I don't, I, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to lecture people cause, cause I mean, I, I don't like people telling me how to be a fan either, but I just can't understand like the, the woe is me, you know, Eeyore type stuff and, and the, the absolute sort of like, you know, almost borderline anger that people have about the fact that, well, this team was supposed to be good and they're not good. And so I am mad. And it's like, like, why? Like, I don't know, man, there's reasons why they're not as good as we thought they were going to be necessarily. And also there's still room to enjoy a lot of this. And I don't know, man, I would just encourage people probably if you're still listening at this point, you're probably like us anyway, and you're enjoying it. But but man, if you got a friend or something, I don't know, man. Just t- try to tell them like this team doesn't suck. They don't. Their record is not good, but they don't suck. You know, there are teams in the NBA that go seven and ten over their first seventeen games, and you don't declare that they suck. It's like I understand college basketball is different, but like 
man, you know, like just like keep yourself in it just to enjoy it a little bit. There's going to be good times. All right. I'm done. Like Rant Saturday, like Saturday. And here's the thing. Like if you are a WSU basketball fan, like maybe you're, you're feed into things like Jeff and I say, and, and things like that, that where we're like, Hey, this could be a tournament team this year. And Bryce and stuff. And you know, other people in media, like, because they, they legit like if they had the full fucking roster, this yeah. like this 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 like Ken Palm schedule I'm looking at with all this all this red, there'd be a lot more green on it. Like let's be honest, if Deshaun Jackson and Miles Rice were here, and Andre Yakomovsky and Jay Mullins were hurt for extended periods of time, like this would just look so much different. It would just look so much different. And and like, but now they have two of those guys back and it's making a difference. And here's the thing, like since the like modern era of college basketball, since like they expanded the NCAA tournament to like 32 teams and they let more than just the uh, conference champions in WSU has been to the tournament in 1983, 1994, 2007, 2008. That's it. Four times. And the, the the three coaches that did that are George Ravelin, who is in the Hall of Fame, Kelvin Sampson, who, who's going to be in the Hall of Fame, going to be in the Hall of Fame, and Tony Bennett, who is going to be in who's the Hall of Fame. Who's also going to be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yep. And yeah. it just even like. It's hard. The fact that we've, really had, hard. we've had like a top 100 basketball team for three years in a row now like that's crazy for wsu so we're always on the margins and when we lose four we, we're navigating the start of the season without two probable starters like miles rice was gonna start at point guard yes and yeah i think that's jackson I think was that's gonna clear. start at the five and so yep it, it, you, I don't, there's just not programs that can just suddenly like recover from that. Like, and, and then on top of the, to DJ, we have DJ Rodman was hurt for multiple games this season and then was still yep. hurt when he came back. DJ Rodman always played her, honestly, but, yep. But we were going to talk about it. So let's talk real quick. DJ Rodman, holy shit, three straight, uh, or four, four straight. straight. Four straight games. double figure games. He is he's not just shooting threes. He's taking the ball to the rim. He passes out from that too. He finds pl- other open players. He is uh one suddenly become not just what one of our most he's not just the hustle uh you don't see it in the stat book guy. You're seeing it in the stat book. Like he's getting boards, he's he's hitting threes. He's hitting. He's driving to the basket. He, he's drawing fouls. He's making layups. Like he, he even hit like a mid-range jumper. Like it's it, like in in the stretch. Like it's which he has shot like maybe like five of his entire career. Um, like just amazing. And you know we've seen it with seniors sometimes. Like we saw it with Abe Lodwick. We saw it with Nikola Koprovica. They can struggle, yeah. particularly offensively for three years and then that fourth year just things start to click for them like it's like a confidence like a 
you know, a speed of the game. I don't know what it is, but things start to click and you kind of, you see that happening with DJ. Yeah. And I love it for him, man. Like kid, he works his fucking ass off. Like, and yeah. And, and four year players are obviously not going to be like a, like a common thing forever. So we should appreciate him and just, he's got to enjoy what he's doing right now. It, it's the all around contribution, but also like, I mean, it's not, you know, sometimes you can, you can sit there. It, it almost becomes a kind of a backhanded compliment, right? Like you're like, Oh, he's such a, he's such a glue guy. And you know, all this stuff. No, like DJ Rodman is just like flat out kicking ass right now. <laughs> like these last four games, I, he is over a 140 offensive rating in all four of them for the whole game. Now he is a relatively low usage player, but also he has scored in those four games, 11 points, 16 points, 16 points, 19 points while playing 30 minutes, 35 minutes, 33 minutes and 31 minutes. Like he is really important to what we're doing right now. And and that's to say nothing. Obviously we can't really quantify his defensive um, contributions, but you know, he is, you know, doing what he does. He's a pest on defense. He gets his hands on balls. He draws charges. Like nobody draws charges like, like he does. Right. And so, um, you know, just the, it's the all around contribution, but also like he is right now, you know, a legitimate, Pac-12 player and I'm not I, I don't know I'm not sure that I ever thought he could be this good and I mean I don't know if he's going to sustain it or not like I you know I don't want to put too much on him because I mean this is a great stretch and you know maybe he continues it maybe he doesn't but but to get four games out of him like this and maybe this is who he is I don't know but if it is then it's like man all of a sudden you've got a like a true difference maker, an absolute true difference maker. He's not the greatest defensive rebounder, which is where having Andre back um, is, you know, a really, really nice thing because Andre is a really good rebounder. And so it's like, you know, when you got those two guys together and they've started, you know, the last, uh, you know, handful of games together. um, But when you've got both of those guys, you can put in there and they do, you know, similar things, but also slightly different things. Like you've got kind of a one, two punch there. That's amazing. And, you know, just to see DJ turn into the player that he's turned into, you know, I mean, he was very lightly recruited. Like I I don't, I'm not sure if people kind of realize that, but he was really kind of a, kind of a two-star kid. Like he was, he had offers from lower schools, but he definitely, I know he didn't have any offers from any other power five schools or power six schools, any kind of high major type schools. You know, but he wanted to play at this level. Even when he signed with WSU, I know that, you know, the coaching staff was up front with him about, you know, what the opportunities might be. And he, like, this is what he wanted to do. He wanted to play at this level. And to be here for, it seems like it's gone by, you know, in a flash, right? But to be here for four years and develop into the player that he's developed into, and he could stick for one more year if he wants to. I don't know yeah. if he wants to, but he could. I guarantee he's got one more year because of the COVID year. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, and and he's clearly like at this point. I mean, if he finishes the year like this, I mean, he will have you know carved out a legit you know starting role for himself. Like you know, it's at this point, it's not like he's starting because you're like, well, we just kind of don't have other options. Like, I mean, no, he's like. He's one of our most important players right now in in any number of ways. And, 
Yeah, it's it's really it's fun. You know, like it's it's one of the reasons why we follow college sports, right? Like the older I get, the more I'm like, man, this is, you know, I, I start having these questions like, man, is it kind of weird, you know, that I that, that I am so invested in what these 18 to 22, 23 year old well, guys yes, are is. doing? It it is weird, but it's also like I feel less weird about it when I get to step back and watch a kid like DJ Rodman and go, like, like that's cool, you know. Here's a guy who, you know, was was you know has sort of been in the shadow of his name you know, for so long and dad's not in the picture, even though he's like, you know, mega famous and all this stuff. And and what's he done? He's just sort of like grinded and grinded and grinded for years, making himself into this like player who now is experienced and savvy and a legit contributor um, to a program that's, that's still on the rise. It's, it's just, it's the sort of thing that's a lot of fun to watch. And, you know, I take a lot of joy in, in a guy like that um, succeeding. Yeah, absolutely. And if if you want to feel some encouragement that it could continue, he's shot threes like this for a stretch in his career during his sophomore yep. year. He's he shot twos like this for the last two years now. Yep. Like he's become yep. a good finisher and around the rim. Um, he's he's drawn fouls like this last for the last couple of years now. Uh, and he's never turned the ball over that much. Really, uh, he yep. did during conference play a bit last year because there was. There was a few games when we were down so low on foul trouble, he was turned into like a primary ball handler. Uh, but and yeah. I think that skewed his numbers a bit. But, but yeah, he's, he's having a, you know, everything you need from your third, fourth guy, like, and, and it can explode for huge games when those threes are falling. Um, and yeah, so it was, it's, it's fun. Like it, we, I, we were getting a bit down on him especially shooting like a month ago because it just it wasn't happening for him i think he was around like 22 percent and now he's uh at 35 percent he's almost 40 percent in pac-12 games um 38 percent in tier a games which is kemp uh kemp that's kind of his quadrant tier a and tier b uh 37 percent in tier a and b games so he's playing really well against better teams like so that just proved like more you said he's a Pac-12 player he's he's just crushing it right now and yeah it's it's very fun and especially because when he plays that well WSU plays well like he is he is he's such an important player um and and to to have a you know just one more shooter on the floor at all times and or another guy that can uh can truly create his own shot sometimes just because Teams sell out on his jumper so hard that he's really been able to take advantage of that. So that's been nice. Uh, but yeah, we could probably talk about it more, but I think probably five minutes on DJ uh, is good. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so uh, I, I knew we would talk about basketball for men's basketball for a really long yeah. time. And yeah. uh, I, 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 we did. And we have. Uh, but, but so we should take a break. Um, but uh, when we come back, we will talk about a uh, big win for the women's team and a key player coming back, uh, which was part of that big win. Um, and then we'll we'll talk about uh, football, obviously new recruiter, I mean new coordinators and, and recruiters, um, new coordinators, and then uh, landing some transfer portal guys uh, to help fill out a roster that had some huge holes. So. All that when we come back because we do have a lot of stuff to catch up on because we have been gone for a while. But 
stick around. back well before we get into all that stuff which is already feeling like a late night jeff um <laughs> before we get into all that stuff uh we of course i mean especially after a win like that and the win we're about to talk about um we got to talk about what we're drinking so jeff what are you drinking yeah well we've been on this this holiday break our our last episode we recorded was uh was remembering Mike leach that was back on December fifteenth which was almost a month ago now uh part of the reason why we took such a long break was because I went to Disneyland uh during Christmas break and took the family and we spent five days park hopping and all kinds of garbage like that. And while I was down there, uh, obviously, obviously, I had to make a stop at uh, Anaheim's uh, best brewery, Bottle Logic. And uh, so I picked up some beer from Bottle Logic, just a couple. The one I'm having tonight uh, is is apt because it is called Study Break, which is uh, an imperial stout with lactose, cacao nibs, and peanuts. Uh, which, you know, as you might imagine, is, is sort of an interesting combination of flavors, which is what uh, obviously uh, anybody who's familiar with Bottle Logic knows is, is sort of what they are known for doing kind of weird stuff. Um, it's, it's sort of their experimental vibe, right, of, of trying different things. So um, this is uh, unbelievably delicious. Uh, it is <laughs> sort of rich and, and mild. I'm not getting a lot of peanuts um, I'm not getting a lot of peanut flavor, uh, but the, the flavor that just sort of the taste, um, it's rich and it's smooth and it's just, it's, yeah, it is, um, it is absolutely outstanding. I'm so glad I bought it. Um, I, I think study break is sort of apt because since I've gotten back from Disneyland, I've kind of just been working my ass off <laughs> trying to catch back up on everything uh-huh. from being out of town for a week, uh, a little over a week, but um, so I feel like tonight I'm kind of finally taking a study break, but, uh, but I love this beer. It's fantastic. Um, if I could get my hands on more of it up here, I would, I don't, don't see a lot of, I don't know if bottle logic even distributes up here. Um, cause I don't recall no. seeing it at any place I've been to, but, um, nope, but yeah, this not. is fantastic. Okay. That would explain it. Cause I'm like, yeah, I would totally buy this again. It's, it's, uh, it is very yummy. So it's a so on the uh, untapped description it says it's Snickers candy bar inspired. Would you ah okay you get that vibe? Uh, maybe a little. Um, but yeah, like I'm not getting a lot of peanut or or caramel in there. So I don't know. Maybe maybe kind of a hint of caramel, but but mostly I'm just kind of catching the chocolate, and it's uh it, yeah. So that's kind of where I'm. That's. That's where I'm at on it, but it's, you know, I'm not disappointed is really good. Awesome. Um, I knew, I knew you'd be coming back with a, with a bottle logic beer. Yeah. Uh, I got another one too. <laughs> we'll do that one on another night. Absolutely. Um, so I, uh, went into the cellar obviously for this, obviously we had a couple 
real nice beers on Saturday oh, goodness. night. Yes, we did. Um, yes, we did. Barley we didn't even talk about uh, that. How like the wind was so much fun. Sarah was like, you should, you should go out to Tacoma and drink beer with Craig. And I was like, all right, twist my arm. So tremendous, drove out to tremendous, Tacoma. yeah, tremendous wife in there. I know. Tremendous. So I, I drove out and we had these, these two incredible no, beers. She so drove you out. She drove me out. Yes. She drove me out. So that I could so drink you these could incredible drink barley, barley wines. Like, yes. And still go home. Yeah. And still make it back to my house without killing myself or somebody else. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we had a, a golden barley wine from Fremont called Aurelis. And then uh, Ooh, uh, yeah. uh, the uh, Hand of Glory uh, from Holy Mountain 2020. Um, yeah. So those were, those were delicious. Among several other beers we drank at beer star um yes. good good celebration good times all around um so uh so i went into my cellar for this and i, I kind of was like let me get something that's you know uh unique uh because this is um you know obviously a unique win I and mean, the first top five win on the road first time any Top five win has happened in 40 years. Um, even Tony Bennett's teams didn't do that. They could never knock off Arizona or UCLA uh, in those years. Um, but, uh, yeah, so what I have is, so as far as I know, at least in terms of packaging, uh, this beer has only been released one year. Um, it has been brewed a lot. Um, uh, because it was, uh, it's, 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 it's brewed as a part of a, a blended beer. So what it is, is Firestone Walker, uh, Bravo. Uh, so the 2017 vintage is a, the only year that they made it. I, th- I may have actually drank this beer on the podcast for, I don't know. Um, but it is, uh, it is, uh, they only, uh, released it in bottles this, in 2017. Uh, they have brewed it a lot. They include it as part of the blend in their, uh, anniversary beer, which is always a blend of a bunch of barrel aged beers. Um, so this is, uh, this is an imperial brown ale, barrel aged. Um, it is, uh, coming in at, I think, 13%. Uh, now, when it came out, I didn't, quite appreciate it that much because I, I was kind of annoyed that it was uh it kind of it replaced their barley wine it, they didn't release their uh, sukaba uh barley wine that year um they they i think they released this instead because it is kind of along the same vibe like imperial brown ale is very um a dark you know a, a dark brown barrel aged beer but it definitely doesn't have the body of a barley wine but now after you know five years in the bottle um uh, this has a real nice body to it. Um, it's aged really well. Uh, the barrel was kind of overpowering at first. That is kind of mellowed out. Everything kind of blends together. Um, it, it's a real, real nice, enjoyable, very dangerous 13%, uh, really tasty. Um, you definitely get some, uh, you know, like the, the good parts of a barley wine or a brown ale, like the, the roastiness of the, um, but with like more intensity of that, you know, there are a lot of people don't like brown ales because they are so too mellow. Uh, but this one has a more intensity of that. 
um, you know, almost like a barley wine a little bit, but not quite, not quite the you know, thick syrupiness of it. Um, but very tasty. And it's called Bravo. Bravo Cougs uh, being a top yeah. five team. Bravo Cougs taking down the Huskies. Um, so uh, lots of Bravos to hand out this weekend. And, and, a, and, a, and a unique uh, beer, which I hope that beating top five teams is not a one-off. I hope it comes back and is just a blended in as a part of, of many seasons uh, going ahead, uh, going forward. Um, but yeah, so, uh, that's what we're drinking. Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's talk a bit about, um, uh, the, the women's team, uh, coming back. They, they had a, a real, uh, you know, tough start, uh, to the Pac-12 season. Uh, they, they lost at UW in a, in an early, de- in a December game, even, even despite Charlize scoring 40. And then they came back without Charlize, who was, had some family matter um, in New Zealand, so she missed um, their next two games uh, against Utah and Colorado. Both games that, if Charlize was there, they could have you. You could definitely see them pulling off. Um, but Charlize was finally back, and especially in the second half, which is typically when she dominates, came back with a, the huge game uh, that their defense was you know, on point and a nice, uh, nice convincing victory over, uh, UW who, uh, Cammie Etheridge is now eight and two against in her career. And I'll find, find any coach in any sport that has a yes. record like that against UW. Um, beside outside of soccer, maybe. Yeah. Soccer was many. pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that's a pretty, pretty impressive to dominate UW like that. Um, so yeah, eight and two now, Cammy, and, and, you know, to win so convincingly, they, they really like kind of, they had you dub at a kind of an arm's length for most, like after they, they, they were, I think they were tied at, 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 uh, the end of the first quarter, they stretched it to seven, uh, at the end of uh, halftime. And then they just kind of held you dub or I think you dub got it down to six at some point. Uh, but other than that, like that was about as close as they got in the second half and, and uh, you know WSU um, just pulled away. That UW really didn't have an answer for uh, Bella Mercatete inside. Uh, she she had a real nice game, uh, ten of sixteen. Uh, Charlize eleven seventeen, two of three, twenty six. Real nice, twenty six points. Um, you know Ula. It was nice to see her have a have a good game. She's been struggling a bit with her shot, but um, you know eleven points from her, and then not much else from anyone else. But when you're getting 26, 26 from Charlize and twenty from Bella, and the other team's only scoring uh, fifty two, uh, you're probably going to be okay. And, well, and yeah. you yeah. you won by fourteen, and Charlize scored fifteen in the fourth quarter. Yeah, <laughs> she went seven of eight in the fourth quarter, uh, only one of two from three. She just sort of took the game over, played all ten minutes, uh, and just was was an absolute force. So yeah. So good, so good to have her back. Um, you know, I think, I think it's, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that she's, um, the best, you know, individual basketball player, uh, in Pullman since Clay Thompson. I don't think that that's like, I don't think I'm yeah. saying anything super controversial there. Um, so to have her back 
is like i mean that means the world and and i i tend to think like you know as we as we think toward you know the the tournament again right hoping that they're you know headed for a third straight ncaa tournament you know if it comes down to them being you know a bit of a bubble team the the, the committee does tend to look pretty um you know they, they do tend to look kindly on teams who were missing their uh really who were missing really important players uh in really important stretches. games in really important yep. games. And so um, it's pretty and, clear that different team when she plays, obviously. And Charlie's is taking it to another level this year. Like she yep. is. She's insane. She's more efficient than she's ever been. She's averaging 21 and a half a game uh, with a team that does not play a high tempo. No, like it's no, they do not. Um, She's got to be efficient. 21 and a half a game. Um, she's just been so fun to watch, uh, just filling it up. And, um, yeah, I do think, you know, if she's there for Utah and Colorado, they could very well be, you know, have, have swept those games. Um, cause they've really put up a fight in both those games without her. Yeah. And Utah is um, really good too. Yeah. Utah like, is that's like a really a excellent top 15 team. team. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, they have a lot left to play. They, they started out where they had a really good non-conference, um, if they do what we what we you know what they're capable of in conference play, you know, win 10, 11 games, even I think they'll be in the tournament. And uh, and so, I, especially with the way Charlize is playing, it kind of seems like she's got that. You know, she's just gonna make it happen. You know, make it make make it happen, even when it, when others may be struggling. And that's kind of what she did against UW the, the first half. Uh, she let Bella kind of take charge and she was even playing pretty passively, but she said, Nope, this game is mine now in the second half. And uh, I think she had of her 26, I think she had 22 of him in the second half. So, um, just a really special player. If you can catch her on TV, yep. like I just, you got to do it. Plus if Bella has been playing her bas- basketball too. Yes. So, um, She's taken a huge step forward. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, 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 I expect them, you know, you know, without, with Charlize back, with, with, with they would have had Charlize for those last two games, very least it would have split that weekend, I think, because I definitely think they would have beat in Colorado. Um, and, uh, it, it so, it, you know, with Charlize, they, they'd look differently right now with their record in conference play, but I think they'll make, make that up and, and yeah. they'll, they'll be right there at the end of the season, yeah. um, yeah. pushing for a, a tournament bid again. <laughs> I agree. All right. So, uh, football, uh, obviously the, we, we didn't, we haven't talked about the bowl game, but what, what do you want to say? Like, yeah, <laughs> we, 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 <laughs> what do you want to say? We were missing a million players in both of our coordinators and it was bad. It was real bad. And Fresno state was missing know. no one and they were very motivated. Um, yeah. so, uh, yeah, it sucked. It, it really sucked. Um, yep. but as, and as we've talked about, like, you know, reading too much into bowl games is, is kind of not maybe not really the best way to go. I mean, we look at last year and, you know, yeah, the, the sun bowl really sucked and that was really crappy. And also then we came out and, you know, had a pretty good season. So, you know, I don't, they're, they're not too much to be gained. I don't think from, uh, from, from thinking too, too hard about bowl games. Yeah. I think the only thing you could gain of the bowl game last year was the struggles on the offensive line, which did yes, over. Yes, that's um, true. It did. 
But but now if you look at this roster now, we've had signing day. We haven't talked about that. Uh, let's let's just Yay. go ahead and say uh, we signed a, a bunch w- of guys. We hope they're a very, awesome. A very WSU class. Yes. WSU yeah. through and through. Um, yeah. And then since then, uh, they've hit the portal more, um, filling out some offensive lines, some defense, some wide receivers. Uh, so I, there was definitely some, you know, after all the transfers early in December, like, oh gosh, what's this roster going to look like? But I think they're bringing in some enough guys with experience that enough will hit that they they won't the the any holes won't be too terribly glaring um you know i think we're still looking at next year is going to be like let's get to a bowl game um i but you know that's hey this is wsu again um Yeah, and so, uh, but obviously, transfer portal stuff isn't over. That's going to keep going. That's going to go till fucking June. So, st- strap in, folks. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're you know, you look at what what we've got. You know, we're still landing transfers every day. We just, I think, actually signed another transfer today. Uh, he's an up transfer from Incarnate Word, a line. I think he's a linebacker, defensive end type guy. I think he's an edge yeah. type guy. Yeah, because he had um, like twenty sacks in two seasons. Yeah, yeah. Like yep. So, maybe. and that's that's largely where our transfers have come from. We have had a couple of Power Five transfers, a couple linebackers, one recently from Maryland, uh, another guy from Texas. That was a couple weeks ago. The guy uh, so from Maryland. Great. Needs to change yeah. his pr- Twitter profile to Washington State <laughs> yeah. University, not University of Washington State. University of Washington. Sorry, buddy. Like you got to fix that. Um, I'm not naming you, but yeah, you're not but, but we're anyway. but we are, but we are calling you out. Actually, you, might you know, the rest of it though is is largely up transfers, right? Like it's it's guys, uh, a lot of Mountain West guys uh, that they that they're tapping, particularly wide receivers. Uh, so we've got three transfer wide receivers, one from UNLV, one from Fresno State, one from San Jose State. So, you know, that wide receiver room that we were uh, kind of wondering how what they were going to do with, you know, that's how they've addressed it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's better than freshmen. Uh, as near as I can tell, each of those guys has two years left. So um, hopefully that helps. I think the UNLV kid is actually the most intriguing. He seems pretty explosive. Um, so that's going to be an interesting, an interesting guy to keep an eye on the, the Fresno state kid and, and all their names, by the way, are escaping me right now, but the Fresno state kid's a little bigger. Uh, I think he's about six, one maybe. Um, so perhaps he projects to the outside. Um, but regardless, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's some guys who should, should be able to step in, uh, hopefully be able to help. And, and hopefully that's, you know, I, I, I think that's probably going to be the formula for us unless like the, the calculus changes on our, you know, Cougar collective or something like, I think that that's, that's sort of largely what we're going to be looking to do is grab guys who are, um, you know, coming up mostly from, you know, mid uh, mountain West type schools, um, guys who might be um, under the radar a little bit because of that. And, you know, we, we add them we add them to, to plug holes. So um, so I feel good about that. I know we got, we got a couple of new coordinators too. Um, I'm, I'm pretty excited about them just because I, I guess they're new. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know much else about them, but, uh, well, you know, uh, 
Ben Arbuckle is 27 years old. Yes, uh, I do know that. Yeah, the offensive coordinator so, is super um, young. Looked like you young ran enough a to fun, write for Coog Center these days. Yeah, uh, looked like you ran a fun offense at Western Kentucky. Uh, I'm, you know, I we 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 experimented with an air raid that didn't look, you know, wasn't wasn't that pure Mike Leach like air raid, and there was some good stuff in there. Uh, what I'm hoping, you know, I. I watched you dub with Kayla DeBar this year and just some of the stuff they did to keep the pocket clean uh, and, and just my, like shifting the pocket around is which is something you never see at you dub or you never see it in the air raid. You know, it's, I hope we, we get some of that. We get, we, we get some variance a bit more in our offense because I'm still a bit, you know, we're, the the offensive line is it, it it has a long way to go, and so if we can find some way to to keep the quarterback uh, a little cleaner, that would that would be nice. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, I mean he's he he scored points at Western Kentucky. Uh, I think uh, it's clear that you know Jake Dicker is wanting to have open offenses and pass. You know he 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 understands what has been successful at Washington State, um, and this is the same sort of thing. We're not going to be this like running attack that like classic defensive coaches do. So that's encouraging. And then he went out and uh, for the defensive coordinator uh, Jeff Schmetting, uh, who most recently was at Auburn um, and uh, Boise State with Harson as well. Um, he is a Spokane native. Uh, one thing that is a little uh, – Jake is really big into wanting to recruit Washington and wants people who know Washington. Yep. I hope he knows there aren't a ton of Div- Division One players <laughs> in Washington. No, no, there's not. <laughs> um, that's okay. There are some – there have been some very good players from Washington – that go to UW or go to Georgia or whatever. But um, just if you make that your focus, you're you're not going to fill out your roster. But I don't don't think that a lot of stuff I think is, is more uh, messaging than it is like, it's more in the messaging than it is in the actual practice because there was, there was Washington guys in the recruiting but there was still a lot of California guys and there was Texas guys and stuff like that. So like the, we're not just recruited Washington, uh, but you know, it's, it's good to have a guy that's excited to be in, you know, in Eastern Washington and, yeah. and, and all that. And, and uh, he, and, and you said it and like Jake Dickert, this is Jake Dickert's defense and Jake Dickert said yes. it too. Like they're not going to change. He runs a four, two, he, he looked for a guy that runs a four, two, five and likes to likes to blitz Values turnovers, stuff like that. Like you know, good. Like you know, go, runs a turnover heavy, high variance defense. That that is what Jake Dicker wants, and frankly, he's been really fucking successful with that in his like short term. You know, he's Jake Dicker's still pretty young, but like it, at Wyoming and at WSU, it's been proven to be successful. And I, I'm down with it. Keep keep rolling with that four two five. You you gotta at the very least have to have a five five back base set at this point in college football. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, it's I I'm not I don't I don't know, man. Like, okay, so I look at the offensive coordinator, I go, Okay, cool. He's young. Uh maybe it's weird. I dig it. Like, you know, I'm all about like weird and having fun, so it sounds kinda like, you know, that's kind of what he's all about. Wonderful. Yeah. We gotta be weird, man. That's yeah, like I mean, that's 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 where we're at. We we better, you know, if, if you're WSU, you better throw the ball over the yard and get a little weird. Okay, great. Defensively, I, I don't even think twice about it. I'm like, it's Jake Dickert's show. You know, I, I don't know if this is exactly akin to Mike Leach hiring an offensive coordinator, but it's probably pretty close. I know. I mean, Jake Dickert's not the one calling the plays. We know that, but. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it's it's his defense, it's his philosophy. They're going to teach it the way he wants it taught, and and as we know, that's good, right? That's a good thing. So I feel great about it. And and if this guy can recruit a little bit, um, you know, I think somebody made a maybe it was Brian Anderson made a made a comment on on our thread about it, you know, earlier today, where it was like, or the other day, where it was just sort of like, okay, if you're if you can get this guy and you're winning battles for you know, the upper end, you know, Boise state kids, you know, the upper end, you know, getting, you know, some winning some battles against, you know, Cal and, you know, maybe potentially Utah and, and Colorado and Arizona, right? Like you're, you're kind of getting some of those kids against those other guys, but also some of the upper end mountain West kids, you're probably doing okay. And so, you know, from that, from that standpoint, um, you know, if that was part of the goal, you know, I think that makes a lot of sense and, and, and I'm down with it. So, Yay! Yay! New coordinators. Um, yeah. Woo! You did mention Colorado, which who even know, like Colorado? Yeah, might who be knows in a what that's going to be? Different class of recruiting. Yeah, who know. knows? It might be. It uh, might dude, be. Who knows? Uh, I mean, a guy recruited five stars to to yeah. uh, to Jackson, Jackson State, State. So, so. Um, and who who is now coming to Colorado? Um, so yeah. It, by the way, Western Kentucky uh, sacks plus. Uh, sacks plus pass attempts, 637 last year. Uh, and then that's a take lot. out the sacks. Take, that's versus 400 runs. So, uh, they're 63% passing attack. That is, that's what we're used to. Um, that's, that, that's also a lot of and, plays just in general, though. Yeah. So, yeah. They were, a, they were in. Well over, they were 1,037 offensive plays, and their yeah. opponents around 1,026. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I gotta oh, love that. That's the Mac, play, right? That's some. They did play. They did play 14 games. Okay. So that, that they were, partially explains it. Yeah, yeah. They weren't. They weren't in the conference title game. I don't know why they played 14. Did they play at Hawaii? Know. Oh, they played at Hawaii. That's why. There you go. Yeah. You can play thirteen uh, regular season games. You play away. Yeah. So. Fun fact, by um, the way, the guy the guy who replaced him as the offensive coordinator at Western Kentucky is Drew Hollingshead, yeah. who was Mike Leach's. Uh, I think he was a grad assistant to start with, yeah. and then I think he was like an offensive analyst. Um, but he was basically at WSU. He was basically Mike Leach's assistant quarterbacks coach. So when I when I got to sit in on the QB meeting. Uh, during that one spring practice time, Drew was was in the room. Um, he was actually kind of the enforcer with me to make sure that I wasn't, you know, recording anything I wasn't supposed to be recording. Uh, but you know, Smart Kid followed in Mississippi State was in uh, inside receivers coach, and then 
now he's going to be the offensive coordinator. So that's awesome for him. Um, I know he was sort of the uh, the quarterback whisperer, uh, kind of like the buffer between Leach and the rest of the, and Leach and the quarterbacks. Um, so yeah, got his cut his chops at WSU under Leach. Uh, so super excited for him as well. Um, seems like a really good dude. So yeah, yeah very excited only, for him too. He's like maybe 31, 32. He's not very yeah old. yeah he's so pretty either, young so. too. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Uh, did we did we talk about everything we want to talk about? Uh, I think so. I think we got. Yeah. It all. Look at it. Look at us. Look at us. Ninety minutes. Yeah. All right. Um, well, thank you for uh, sticking with us. Uh, you know, we we're just we're normal folk, and and sometimes when it's like holidays and constant illnesses of my children and my wife, like uh, it's that type of season. Uh, it's just been hard to to do podcasts. Uh, but you know, uh, we love doing it and, uh, thank you for sticking with us. And yeah. if, if you don't listening. subscribe, uh, hit, hit that subscribe button, uh, give us that five star rating. Um, if you want to follow us on socials, I'm at the Craig powers on Twitter, uh, at Craig W powers on Instagram and TikTok, And Jeff is at pod versus everyone on Twitter and at news Coog, uh, N U S S Coog on on Instagram. Um, with that, I will say, because of what happened on Saturday, go fucking coots. Go fucking coots, Craig. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives fucking matter. And you can still get fucking vaccinated. You can still get, get fucking vaccinated. Get that bivalent booster. Probably the flu shot too, yeah.